Welcome to Ami Sites, a podcast that offers you access to thought leaders who can help you expand your entrepreneurial toolbox. Learn from seasoned entrepreneurs who have already walked in your shoes and can help you with your day-to-day business decisions. Join the founder and CEO of Multifunding, Ami Kassar, and his co-host, Lynn Ozer, the president of Multifunding, aka the SBA Queen, as they help you navigate, grow, and stay in control of your business. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next edition of Ami Sites. I'm your host, Ami Kassar, along with my co-host, Lynn Ozer, aka SBA Queen. So excited to have our guest today, Mr. Mike Brady of LPA All Financial, a good friend and former president of EO Philadelphia. Professionally, Mike started with LPL Financial in 2001, and he's been there calling it home ever since. We're going to hear all about his story, his entrepreneurial journey, how he thinks about helping business owners and individuals manage their money, and just talk about good things in life. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Excited to be here and excited to uh, to chat with you. We're happy to have you, Mike, and your story is very interesting, as Ami said. So why don't you start by telling us, what did you do before you started your company? Almost nothing. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I was a uh, an undergraduate accounting student at Widener. And, you know, when I was graduating with, with the degree, I interviewed with, at the time, which was the big five accounting firms. And I realized during the interview process that this was definitely not for me, that I talk way too much and would be fired probably pretty quickly from Ernest & Young or KPMG or wherever it is that I ended up. And and so I stuck around and took a job with Widener uh, as their assistant director of alumni relations, so basically planning parties. Apparently, that's something that I... (laughs) And do well, and um, and got my MBA for free. And you know, my first class that I took was Intro to Financial Planning, and I can remember reading the syllabus and then walking up to Professor Tino at the end of the first class and saying, "This is what I want to do with my life. This is why accounting seems so interesting to me, and budgeting, and you know, the numbers associated with it, because." Financial planning essentially is taking those numbers and formulating a plan for a person or a business on how to accomplish their goals. And so with the background of accounting, I kind of forged my way into the MBA slash CFP program at Widener and loved it and knew this is what I'm doing. Ironically, I changed jobs. I was a fundraiser at that point. And so I would fly around the country, lose at golf and ask for (laughs) $50,000 minimum gift to the university to build the new school business building. And so I missed a class where all of the students were asked to choose a brokerage company to unwind as a project and then build back together and give their sort of final conclusion of, is this the type of firm that you see yourself affiliating with? And, you know, I missed that class. I fly back. I get there the next week. I see the list of the companies that remain that haven't been selected. And, it, and you know, it was companies that I'd never heard of, Commonwealth, Royal Alliance, and then a firm at the time that was called Linsco Private Ledger, now LPL Financial. Circled it, called the 800 number, got a box of swag and some annual reports sent to me and wrote the paper. And long story short, the conclusion of my paper was this is the only firm 
that I would consider affiliating with for two main reasons. One, it's an entrepreneur-driven business where I own the business. And so if I woke up one day and um, an LPL wasn't the right place for my client and I, I own it and I can lift it, take it where else it needs to be and drop it down with no conflict, no fight, no fuss. And two, they don't produce products. There's no LPL product that um, that advisors are asked to sort of push onto their clients. And so all it is, is a sort of clearinghouse for all the registered investments that are out there. And then we get to pick and choose what's best for our clients and their situation. Those were the two reasons. They were very hesitant to let me in. They told me I needed five years of experience and a recurring book of business of $100,000. And so they wanted me to go somewhere else and get my teeth cut. I did not listen to that. I kept sending business plans. I FedExed them a five-year business plan for how I was going to build this. And I'm pretty sure after weeks and weeks and weeks of me calling and asking them to open up the window for my Series 7, somebody up there was like, let's just let this kid take the test. He's probably going to fail and then he'll go away. And well, I passed. I hung my shingle and 22 years later, here we That's a great story. Do they use that when they're recruiting other people to buy in? I think that story is Thank you. Our industry is really interesting. It's rough to start from scratch in the independent space. It's rough to be, to join the financial planning, financial advising world to begin with. The failure rate is incredibly high. Well, the tip of the sword of the failure rate is starting in the independent space because there's no manager. Like you hang your shingle and you're on your own, right? And so it becomes um, an even bigger challenge. I was up to that. I knew how I was going to build this sort of from day one. And Obviously, how it looks today is nothing like what I thought it was going to look like 22 years ago, but it looks good. And that makes me, you know, that makes me happy. But they do use it when we have young advisors that are considering to come into the industry with a plan. And I end up part of my my other business is is helping mentor approximately 35 advisors in the in the sort of Delaware Valley space where I'm the registered principal and the, the managing director of a company called Independent Advisor Group that these advisors channel up. And so that works as well. I like the story. LPL likes the story. And so they use it in that spot. Mike, tell us about the journey. You get in. Tell us about those first few years. What were they like? The first few years was a lot of my dad <laughs> calling me and asking when I was going to get a real job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was a, a, a government man, government employee his whole life. He definitely passed down a strong work ethic on me. What he did not pass down was the ability for me to take orders from people. That was not my strong suit ever, you know, and so, it, you know, that that was a thing in our early years. Fortunately, I had saved up three years of bills paying money and was running a very tight household budget. And I was young at the time. And so my all-in expenses were cheap. And, and I knew it was going to take me three years to, to, to get this there. But I can remember, you know, driving to central New Jersey to sell a small life insurance policy and get a former fraternity or a fraternity brother of mine, former college buddy to sign up for a $100 a month Roth IRA contribution and buy the life insurance policy because he had just got married. And I'm driving home and I'm thinking... When you include tolls and gas, I I just lost money on that. 
But and, and there was a lot of that. But I knew that if I worked really hard and helped people, referral stream would come, that their parents would come along because their parents were about to retire and probably didn't have a financial advisor. And and so they'd become advocates for me. And so I've always had this sort of soft spot of helping people financially become better and that that energy that that creates would come back to me in the terms of clients that um, that could help put more food on the table. And so there was a lot of that, but there were tons of failures. I remember meeting the first person who had a million dollars and she was a widow and she was referred to me and I went to her home. I had my computer, my lap, set up my laptop. I showed her this proposal for how the million dollars should be allocated that's going to allow her to remain financially independent for the rest of her life. And at the very end of the presentation, she looked at me and she said, this looks great. And you look a lot like my grandson. And I would never give a million dollars to my grandson. And I thought, how quickly can I gray some of this hair? Because man, if that's the reason why I lost this case, I can't believe it. But when you think about it, money is very emotional. And a lot of times the decisions that people make, including ourselves, regarding their money, you know, are emotional decisions. And so she she allowed that to sort of dictate her decision. And that happens a lot in our business and in the world. And so, you know, I remember walking away from that and thinking, okay, instead of thinking about how to get my first million dollar client, how about if I get 10 $100,000 clients, right? It's that whole, instead of fishing for whales, let's just fish for fish and get a lot of fish. And so that started to guide my business plan for those early years where I was just doing middle America work for financial planning. And then eventually those referrals kind of scaled. Tell us about the last few years. How, what's evolved? How's it grown? What's different? You know, scaling something like this, it, it, this business happens where you're kind of running along and you've got this nice growth curve and you're happy with the growth curve. And that's all I've ever wanted to do is grow. You know, 47 years old, I have a nine-year-old daughter, an eight-year-old daughter, and a four-year-old daughter. And to me, the most valuable asset in the world is time. And so instead of me trying to always focus on scaling the business, my focus is on scaling my time at home with them so that I can be the field hockey coach and soccer coach and all the things that a dad would want to be. And so, you know, all I always looked for was a little bit of growth during these years, just some growth, moderate growth. But the way our industry works is you get a little bit of growth, a little bit of growth, and then a, and then it's shot up, right? All of a sudden something happens, something breaks your way and boom, next thing you know, you reach the next plateau. And so that, that had been happening in my personal practice and then in the larger company that I'm a part of, Independent Advisor Group, with my two partners, that was happening. We were adding advisors, adding bank programs, people that were joining LPL were joining our group. And then, you know, suddenly a year ago, a year ago, two days, my business partner died very suddenly uh, of a massive heart attack in his sleep. No preparation for that at his home in Cape May. Literally had lunch with him on Friday before Labor Day weekend, talked about the fall, talked about the upcoming meetings that we were going to have with all the advisors, talked about our plans. He was selling his book of business to the entity and was going to focus solely on growing 
the entity with new advisors for the next three or four years and then was going to sell the stock to myself and my other business partner at the end of that journey. And all of that came to a very abrupt end on the Tuesday after Labor Day in 2022 when he no-showed a meeting, a call that we would normally have. And then um, later in the day, we, we got the absolute horrible news that, that he had passed in his sleep of a massive heart attack. And so last 12 months are a complete blur. My other business partner and I had to figure out how to fund the largest loan that I would ever sign my name next to. Fortunately, as a firm, LPL was incredibly gracious because while I was at LPL for 22 years now, he had been about to celebrate his 30th anniversary as an LPL advisor and so and had a lot of great connections and contacts in the firm. And so they were incredibly gracious to lend us the largest number I had ever really looked at to buy the practice and the shares from his estate so that his family could be taken care of for the rest of their life. And then Len and I worked on sort of reshaping the business into what we believe it can be over the next couple of decades. And now we're operational. Lots of change in your life the last two years. Wow, that is unbelievable. But how blessed his widow is that you were able to do that. And that's a reflection on obviously, you know, his impact on the company overall so that they were willing to do that. Len and I had to sit down and figure out, okay, how can we fulfill our obligation to his family to purchase this? And we had 30 days to come to a deal. That's the way our industry is designed. And how can we fulfill the obligation that we have to his family and to him? He is our, he is our mentor and he started this thing. And so, you know, we, we negotiated with his estate and were able to do it. And LPL was amazing at getting the loan. And now we've, you know, we've added our own spin on how we saw the business go, you know, and, um, and, and what we see the trends are. And we started to grow. We added our first major advisor to the fold. Huge win for us. Uh, an advisor that joined our team two months ago from Wells Fargo. And he was a tenured advisor there. And we look to do way more of that over the next years. And I'm also running my book of business. And I'm dealing with the top 12 relationships that were his all at the same time. But I didn't miss a weekend down the shore or a Friday or a Monday with the kids down there in the summer which was a huge victory for me and my sort of time management mindset. I love it. How many employees do you have? And were you able to save all his employees during this? Didn't lose a single employee. In in a death, normally 40% of a book of business evaporates, disappears, they go other places. We kept it under 10, 8%. We lost 8%. It was one relationship who we believed was on the way out the door anyway. And so we've been able to keep every employee. We've built incentives for them and created a long-term path for them. So here in Broomall, I have three full-time employees other than myself in this office. And then in the office that we have up in Horsham, we have four more full-time employees that are helping run the machine that is up there called Independent Advisor Group. And then 30 or so advisors spread out in this sort of tri-state area. We have some one-offs in Ohio and Maryland. So when you say that you have these two different businesses, how are they related? Is independent like the investment arm? Or- no, so I, independent advisor group is sort of the go-between between us, the advisors, and the mothership that is LPL. Oh. And it offers operational support, compliance support, 
and business building support. And that's my function at Independent Advisor. My business is being a financial advisor to my 220 clients, um, roughly $190 million in assets that are mine. And that's my business. And that's my primary business. The IAG role is a love affair that I have. I love helping young advisors develop a, uh, a business model that works, taking from the model that I designed right? That I did for myself. It's totally, totally reusable. And, uh, and so, you know, it's look, here's the playbook. This playbook worked, takes work, takes hard work. No one is going to hand you their business. You have to earn it and you have to continue to earn it by providing value. And I think that's one of the secret sauces that I have and that our, a lot of our advisors have is the value that we provide to our clients over and above just being their investment advisor. We are their financial coach. We help them make many of life's major decisions about their money, not even impacting their investments, but impacting their household. And then a lot of times we are psychologists for that, right? We help dig into that side of the brain that a lot of times helps make money decisions in the wrong way and just point it out, right? I'm not trying to yell at you and tell you, you need to do this. I'm just going to point out that, yeah, the market has been down for three or four months and the media is hitting that over and over and over again. But your financial plan is way bigger than one year or three years or five years or 10 years. It is a lifespan. And in the grand scheme of things, this is a small blip on the screen. So you don't change the tools that are inside the plan unless the plan is changing. Then if the plan needs to change, if you showed up at my office and said, hey, I'm going to buy a sure house in the next two years, that's part of my retirement plan, and it wasn't in the past, now your investments need to change. But the market conditions should never dictate a change to your plan. And so sitting down and going over, that's one of the things that I love. Those are the conversations I love having with clients. Because then when they get it, when they get it, they can impact that wisdom on other people their peers, the people that they're trying to, and that's the number one source of referrals. Is that what drove you to EO? Because there's lots of that mentoring and sharing that goes on. Is that how your EO journey started? It did. And, you know, my accountant at the time, who's been a long-term member of our chapter, came to me and said, listen, Mike, your business crossed the threshold where you qualify for EO. I've worked with you on the board of the Chamber of Commerce for years. I feel like you have a lot more to give than you take. And we look for givers. Uh, we look for a balance. You need to get out of EO, but you got to give to get. And you're one of those guys. And so I think that you should consider joining. And he took me to an event. And I just started chatting with other business owners at that event and thought, this is home for me. This is going to be home for me. It's a group of great people. And many of them do things that are way cool than what I do for a living. And so hearing their story and what, how they do what they do, I'm inspired to continue to push on for myself, my own growth, and learning from them and having a place where we can sit down in a confidential spot once a month and really just unload on what is happening in our personal life, our family life, and our business life is so valuable because when I go home, the last thing I want to do is burden those things to my family. I don't, I don't want to do that. 
And so having that outlet has been incredibly valuable. I know I've grown as a husband, a father, and a business owner, a person, all of those spots uh, over this last eight-year journey in the EO. And I love it. And I'm active locally. I'm active regionally. And, you know, I'm one of these people that I'll do. If I can fit it in, I'm going to do it. That's great. He's the best. That's terrific. So when when you said just back to your business about, you know, the difficulty in the markets these days, but, you know, when you're your age, you don't change anything. But when you're my age and you're, you know, you could retire, but, you know, you don't. Doesn't your plan matter at that point? Your plan should matter all along. The thing yeah. is, is that the way you invest your money should be based on when you're going to use your money, right? right? So I'm 47, my retirement dollars are invested incredibly aggressively and they should be, right, right. but my safety money, my money that is my backup savings money is invested much more moderate slash conservatively. Right. Because if I decide, or if my wife and I sit down and she says, it's time for me to win the argument about putting the pool in, <laughs> and it's time for me to win the argument about building the in-law quarters for my father-in-law, I need to be able to go, okay, I can pluck this money out of here and it's not 10% or 20% lower than it could be because it was aggress- It was invested as if it were retirement money. And so that is the work that has to be done in all stages of life. Taking a look at your money, sorting it to what the goal is for those dollars and then investing it towards that. But make no doubt about it. The three to five years leading up to retirement and the first three to five years of retirement, I, I love football. I call it the red zone. It's the retirement red zone. And if you aren't sharp with your investments and your plan, when you are in the retirement red zone, you could end up working longer than you want to. Now, that's not my, my job isn't to, to make you stop working. I help make work optional. That's my, that's what I do. And so my goal is to get you to a point where we can meet and say, I can bless this plan that no matter what, you're not going to outlive your money. And if that's your primary and only goal, we're good. If you have a secondary goal of leaving a legacy to your children, that's going to work out too. But stopping work is on the person. And I can tell you, I have meeting after meeting after meeting with clients who I had told they are financially independent and good to go six months ago, one year ago, two years ago. And here they are still waking up in the morning, still working. But that to me is, you know, is because they want to work, but they know my job is complete where I've showed them you are now in the work is optional phase of life. And that's a completely different mindset for the person. They're going to work knowing I can leave and I'm fine. You know, it does get us into another conversation sometimes where I sit down with spouses and they're like, see, he told you again that you could stop working. And then I have a whole other, <laughs> I have a whole other set of curriculum when that happens. So we have right. a book that we send to, to clients as they approach retirement, which helps map out a meaningful retirement journey. Because a lot of times the reason why someone doesn't stop working is because their entire worth is based upon their job. They get up, they put their pants on, they go to work. This is what they do. And they can't envision what the day after their last day of work looks like. And so we have a little program that we give people that shows them how to draw that out, how to find purpose, how to design a purposeful retirement. 
So, and that's been really impactful for people. And again, that's one of those sort of, that's not investment work, right? That's not even really financial work, but in my opinion, that's longevity work, right? I want you to be able to retire and go travel and live your life and enjoy the fruits of your labor. And so if you keep grinding all the time, what's the point, right? We did all the savings. So and I love that stuff. I'm Great. very passionate about that. I, I, you know, I'm also very passionate about getting my clients to the spot where they're able to retire. Right. Mike, thank you for sharing. If listeners of this podcast want to find you, where do they go? Sure. They can check me out. I'm on all the different social media spots like LinkedIn, like Facebook. My Twitter handle is at Apex471. Michael S. Brady, financial advisor on Facebook. And if you Google Michael Brady LPL, I am the first thing that pops up. You know, you can reach out to my office at any time, or you can shoot me an email. It's very simple. Michael.Brady, spelled like the Brady Bunch, at LPL.com. Happy to talk to anybody. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you, buddy. Loved your story. Just Thank love you it. for your friendship, Ami and Lynn. It's been great to talk to you. Great and, to talk uh, to you. Hope to see you both very soon. Enjoy your okay. weekend. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. You Thanks. too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Ami Sites. Since 2010, multifunding has helped businesses achieve their biggest growth goals through creative and personalized funding solutions, working with a network of the nation's top lenders. Visit us at multifunding.com where you can meet our advisory team and learn more about how we help entrepreneurs fund their future.